Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Hello, everyone. It's Pastor Scott with Living Faith Lutheran. Now is the time to take out your Living Faith notes. As you're doing so, I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or listening or watching online at living-faith.church or are listening on AM 1390 KBEC. Now, we are in the beginning of a verse-by-verse sermon series called Live New which is a a study of 1 Peter. Last week, we covered verses 6 through 10. Today, a couple of verses of overlap, beginning with verses 8 and 9, but we're going to make our way through verse 12. Listen now to the word of God. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I am forever grateful to a man by the name of Mark Elric. He saved my life back in 1997. If it weren't for him, I may not be sitting here today uh, preaching this message. And the scene was this, April 1997. Of all places, the church parking lot. I'm loading our minivan, the side door, 1994 Plymouth Voyager. In my peripheral vision, I see a person running toward me. And and, and as I looked, he is running full bore straight for me. And he's reaching down, he's grabbing something from his waist. And sure enough, it's a gun. And he's running with the gun, he's running towards me. He stops about 10 feet away and he points the gun right at me. And And I thought, this is it. In a matter of seconds, I could be in heaven. Now, shortly after that, I see another person jump a fence onto the the church property, and it was Mark Elric, who was a police officer. He's about 10 yards behind the suspect, and he was yelling at him to to stop and to to drop to the ground. And the suspect suspect looked at me. He was a criminal. And the gun pointed at me. And and instead of killing me, he decided to try to kill the police officer first. So, So he turned sideways and he began shooting. And he shot five times, and he missed all five times. Now, the, the officer couldn't fire back because I'm right there in the line of fire. Uh, I quickly got out of the line of fire. I, got, I crouched down behind our minivan, and Officer Elric was able to fire back three times, uh, hitting the suspect the third time. And so Mark Elric literally saved my life. 
Now, the cool thing was that, that uh, after the shooting, it was very close to Easter, and Officer Elric and his family, starting that year and for many years afterwards, came to our Easter service, which was very special to me because uh, he was not churched. Uh, his family did not go to church at their coming to worship. And whenever I saw him, I, I really thought in my heart, you know, here's the man who saved my life. I'm indebted to him. And we're here to worship the one who saved both of our lives, Jesus Christ. Now, now today, as we continue our verse-by-verse study of 1 Peter, we want to talk about salvation. Peter does. Peter is very excited to talk about the salvation of our souls. Now, the Greek word that's translated salvation is pronounced soteria. And soteria is used in Scripture about 134 times. Peter uses it five times in his two very short epistles, which tells me that that Peter had this idea of salvation being saved, somebody else intervening and and saving us from an impossible situation. Peter had that on his heart and mind all the time. And the salvation that Peter talks about is salvation for our souls, which is the greatest type of salvation. He's talking about the salvation we have in, in Jesus Christ, that Jesus intervened, that Jesus stepped in, that Jesus has saved us from an impossible situation that our sins placed us into. He rescued us from eternal death, from hell itself, from from Satan, and he's rescued us from the eternal consequences of our sins. Now, in our verse-by-verse study, the first time we came across uh, Soteria was in verse 5, where Peter, through the Spirit, said, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter talks about the salvation that's ready to be revealed, the ultimate final uh, salvation of being with God directly in heaven for all eternity. Now he talks about again in in verse 9 of our text. Again, verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him, And even though you you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Now, Peter is writing to Christians who had never seen Jesus. Unlike Peter and the other 11 disciples who had the privilege of of seeing Jesus basically 24-7 for three and a half years, Peter is writing to believers who had never seen Jesus yet believed in him. Jesus himself said, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And that also includes us. We've never seen Jesus. We we live by faith right now, not by sight. One day we will see Jesus. I really look forward to that day. But until then, we believe in him and we are filled with an inexpressible and and glorious joy uh, inside of us. And the reason is we are receiving Uh, the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So as we continue our verse-by-verse study, Live New, we want to see this morning living new in salvation. A very simple breakdown of the text. Most of our message today will be verses 10 through 12. Uh, Peter points out, as far as salvation is concerned, the prophets of old predicted it. Uh, Secondly, preachers preach it, including including me. And finally, angels ponder it, this salvation that that God has given uh, to us. Now, first of all, prophets predicted it. 
verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come uh, to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Now notice here that, that Peter refers to this salvation as the grace that was to come. That's a beautiful way of describing salvation, being saved. The grace that was to come. Grace is an undeserved gift. Undeserved by the recipients. We're the recipients. God says, I save you eternally, and I give it to you as a gift. It's totally by grace uh, that we are saved. Now, we know when this took place. We have information that the Old Testament prophets did not have. We know that our salvation was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that, that Jesus took on our sins in his body, that he was willing to be crucified, uh, undergo that second death, that abandonment from God himself, the, the penalty of our sins in order to pay for them and then give to us something we don't deserve, which is his righteousness as a gift. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So think of the cross of Jesus as a place where we gave Jesus our worst, all the wrong things we've done, and we've all done horrible, bad things, sinful things, things that, that, that should have resulted in eternal damnation. All those things were, were placed on Jesus. He suffered. He died. He paid the penalty. In exchange for, for our badness, God then gives us Jesus' righteousness, all of his perfection, which is the requirement uh, for heaven. That's salvation. Now, the Old Testament prophets predicted it, that, that there would be a person who would be our Savior and he would accomplish these things. Now, who are the prophets of old? These were people who were handpicked by God. Uh, they became God's spokespeople, meaning that he spoke through them. Sometimes it was orally that they were directly inspired by him to say the words of God, to communicate to others. Many of them not only spoke the word of God, but then were inspired to write it down. Uh, again, we have dozens of them uh, throughout the course of time in, in the Old Testament. Uh, some of them wrote thousands of years before Christ, some of them hundreds of years before Christ, but they were all called to be prophets of God. The true prophets were 100% accurate. If a person claimed to be a spokesperson for God, but they really weren't and they were giving false prophecies, just one false prophecy uh, would qualify them as being a false prophet. Now we get some insights on what's called verbal inspiration in our text. Peter says that these prophets of God, they wrote and they spoke as they were directed by the spirit of Christ in them. So it wasn't their words, their ideas that they're writing down. These are God's words. God's thoughts being directed through them. Uh, in fact, Peter says that, that they were inspired by God. They wrote them down or they spoke them. They then had to study what they wrote and, and, and they didn't know everything. They, they, they were trying to figure this out. It was a big puzzle to them, this idea of a Messiah and Savior who's also the servant of the Lord. Uh, we're told that they searched intently with the greatest care, the very words that they wrote. The Greek word, by the way, that means to search intently, 
it, it means what a dog does when it when it's sniffing something and and it's going after it. I had a, a, a dog, JJ, a very high sense of smell. And when he was going after things in the backyard, and when we lived in Phoenix, he'd, he'd go after lizards. And he'd, he'd, he'd smell them, and, and he just would not give up. He was tenacious. Uh, he, he, he searched intently. These Old Testament prophets, likewise, this was intriguing to them. This very unique prophecy concerning a Savior and the salvation that he would bring, that he would be a suffering servant, who would who would lose his life, yet he would be an exalted Messiah that, that, that all people would be attracted to. They didn't understand completely what it meant, but they knew it was from God. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One is the prophet Isaiah, and this is just one of the, the places where the Spirit of Christ in him uh, directed him to write about the, the sufferings of the Messiah, but also the exaltation of the, of the Messiah. So it's a portion of Isaiah 52 and then into 53. By the way, these Old Testament prophets, oftentimes they, they, they spoke in, in the present tense, but also the past tense, which makes sense. God has foreknowledge. He knows all things. And, and God would give a prophecy through these Old Testament prophets living hundreds of years or some cases thousands of years before Christ and speak of it as a past tense. The way that God thinks it, it's an accomplished fact when he's speaking prophecy. But Isaiah wrote these words 750 years before Jesus walked this earth, yet they're fulfilled in Jesus. See, my servant will act wisely. He will, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there, as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. So this exalted Messiah, yet his figure, his human form was disfigured beyond belief. And you see the, the suffering again of, of, the servant, uh, of the servant. Continuing on, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Again, Isaiah's be inspired to write this. And he sees this Messiah is a suffering Messiah. If you continue reading it, it ends in death. That verse eight says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there a deceit in his mouth. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper at his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And so he's going to die, but he's going to come back to life. He's going to justify many. And it's an amazing prophecy about the suffering servant, yet the exalted servant. And 
Messiah. Now, there are many prophets. Uh, another prophet is Daniel. And Daniel, when he received these prophecies, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, he was troubled by them. And you can read it for yourself, but there are many times where, where Daniel was ill. He, he had a hard time breathing, and he would, he would fall to the ground, and, and these revelations just overwhelmed him. Um, the point is, these prophets were humble. They diligently did their work. They had to study intently, again, what, what they wrote. And, and they wanted to know the who, what, where, when, and why, the time and circumstances for these things. And, and God kept it from them. God basically told Daniel, this concerns a future time. Don't worry about it. Get some sleep. Get some rest. Write down, though, uh, what I told you to write down. Now, what you need to know about the Old Testament prophets like, like Daniel and Isaiah and the dozens of others is that in many cases, God gave them, the Spirit of Christ gave them what are called predictive prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, where, where God gave them these, this amazing detail about this Messiah, where he would be born, what he would do, things that would happen to him. Again, written hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years before Jesus actually walked uh, this earth. Now, it is interesting, this uh, uh, predictive prophecy. There, there are other so-called scriptures uh, throughout the world, people claim, you know, these are scriptures and from God. And we respectfully disagree with that, that there's, there's the one scriptures, the, the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament. But if you look at the Quran, for instance, they'll say, well, there's prophecy in the Quran. If you study the prophecy in the Quran, uh, at very best, it's self-fulfilling. No, I'm paraphrasing here, but you'll, you'll see something like, you know, that uh, if, if it be uh, Allah's will, Muhammad will make it safely to Medina. He arrived safely, and they said, well, that's a prophecy that was fulfilled. It's not the same as the predictive prophecies of Scripture fulfilled in Jesus Christ to a very minute detail. Uh, you can look at other um, scriptures, other writings that, that are held as sacred, um, like the Upanishads of the Hindus or, or the writings of Confucius uh, in, in China, and they don't contain these predictive prophecies. Now, I'm going to use a resource here. It's a resource by Josh McDowell. He's well-respected in, in Christian circles. Um, Josh McDowell is an old man at this point. Um, but uh, when I was in my, my seminary years, I, I purchased evidence that demand, demands a verdict in one and two. And he's just well-respected in Christian circles. Josh McDowell himself, my understanding was that he was not a Christian in college. I think he was agnostic, and, and he set out to write a paper disproving Christianity, discrediting Christ. But the more he researched the person of Jesus Christ and, and read scripture, we know how the Holy Spirit works. He works through his word. He, he brought Josh McDowell to faith, where Josh McDowell is one who defends the Christian faith. But he talks quite in detail about the predictive prophecies contained in the Old Testament. Now, there are 333 he focuses in on 16, and then narrows it down to eight, the odds of it happening by chance, this one person to fulfill all of these prophecies, is, is nil. Now, let me give you some examples here. So in Scripture, as we begin in Genesis, the first prophecy of the Savior was that they, there will be a seed of a, of a woman uh, who will crush Satan's head. That's a prophecy. And you look at that seed of a woman— you might say, well, every person is born of a woman. That's true. But if you look at most genealogies and most cultures, it follows the seed of a, of, of a man. The, you know, the, the, the genealogies through the men, the fathers. 
it, it, it's, it's, it's unique to, to a great extent. And we know in Jesus Christ, he had no human father, uh, but he was born of Mary. And one of the genealogies in scripture uh, traces the genealogy from Jesus through Mary, you know, all the way back, uh, his hu uh, humanity uh, from a seed of a woman. The next predictive prophecy we have uh, concerned Noah, the, the man of God, the, the, the great flood. And, and Noah had eight sons, and only one of them is the prophecy given that it's going to be through Shem. So seven-eighths of, of Noah's sons, the promise didn't go through them, so it, it narrows it down. Uh, the, the next uh, predictive prophecy was that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, and specifically through Abraham and, and Sarah. Now, that's interesting because they were old. They, they, they were elderly, had no children. Sarah tries to solve God's problem for him and has Abraham sleep with, with uh, her maidservant, Hagar, and she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Ishmael. But God said, no, that's, that's not what I want. It's not through Ishmael. It's actually going to be through a child that you and Sarah have together, and that, that child will be Isaac, that the Savior of the world will be through Isaac. So you follow the life of Isaac, and, and, and you, you know that um, uh, Isaac and his wife have, have two sons. And the, the, the promise was through one of the sons, Jacob, not the other son, Esau. And so Esau, his descendants, no longer part of the, of the prophecy, the predictive uh, uh, prophecy. Now it's through the line of Jacob. And Jacob's story in and of itself is, is amazing. Lots of drama, family drama. He makes lots of mistakes, yet the promise is given through him that one of his descendants will be the Savior. And you, if you follow the story, know that, that Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, Jacob was later renamed by God as Israel. And you have the 12 tribes of Israel, go back to the 12 sons. But of the 12 sons, it only be one of them, Judah, that the Messiah would come through. So again, God's narrowing it down. Other predictive prophecies that from the tribe of Judah that it would go through um, Bo, um, Boaz and Ruth and Obed and Jesse and and finally through the house of David, the, the second king of, of Israel. And you follow it, other predictive prophecy that the Savior will be born in the town of Bethlehem, which was a very small, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, a very small, insignificant town uh, that the Savior, the, the, you know, his ancestry would be traced through that. Um, we, we have the prophecy as well, again, given hundreds of years before the, the its fulfillment, that the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. Now, we know that to be Judas betrayed him with, with a kiss. And that this betrayer would, would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Hundreds of years before it happened, not, not 29, not 31, but 30. And we know that's precisely what Judas did. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It was predicted in the Old Testament that that money would be thrown onto the floor, which it was, and specifically thrown on the floor of the temple. So that's another predictive prophecy that the temple would be standing. Um, a lot of the history of the world, there was no temple standing in Israel. Currently, there's not. Go back to 70 AD, it was destroyed. So that narrows it down again, um, who this Messiah could be. Through uh, Judas' betrayal again, that the money would be used to, to buy a plot, a burial plot, predicted before Judas did it. Also, the, the predictive prophecy that the Messiah would be crucified Specifically given to us in detail, his hands and feet will be pierced. And what's interesting is that that prophecy was given before crucifixion was even invented. Again, you see the hand of God in these predictive prophecies. Now, Josh McDowell says you know, there are 
16 prophecies. Let's narrow it down to eight. The odds of this happening is just by coincidence that one person could could um, you know match just eight prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. That's uh, one with 17 zeros after it, and it's just uh, even that. I mean, it's just zero uh, chance. Uh, he uses this, this illustration in the state of Texas that if you could take the entire state of Texas and, and fill it with two feet of silver dollars, it's a lot of money, a lot of silver dollars, but then take one silver dollar and, and put a red X on it and throw it in the mix, mix it all together, and then take a man and blindfold him, send, uh, send him to the border of Texas and say, go into Texas and you know wait through all these coins and, and pull out a coin. The odds of that, what, that coin he pulls out being the coin with the X on it is 10 to the 17th power. It's just impossible that, that, that it could be fulfilled in any way uh, except through the person of Jesus Christ. There were 330, 333 predictive prophecies. They're all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It's God's hand. Um, the prophets predicted it. They didn't understand it, uh, but, but they predicted it. Now, salvation is also something that preachers preach. Uh, verse 12 of our text, it says, It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now, now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Again, the gospel was preached, the good news. And the good news is this, that, that well, first of all, what prepares us for the good news God's law tells me that I'm a far worse sinner than I ever thought, that, that my, my sins are horrible. I should be eternally damned because of them. The good news, though, is that, that, that God sent his son anyway. When I didn't love him, he loved me. He went to the cross. He suffered and died in my place. And he is pardoning my sin. He gives me the gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ. That gospel's preached. Now, the original disciples preached it, preached the gospel. But, but God prepared other people to preach. Ephesians chapter 4 says that, that God has given some uh, to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for, for works of service. But part of a pastor's job is to preach the gospel, uh, preach the good news of God's love for the lost and what Jesus did at the cross and, and the pardon from our sins that we have, salvation through him. Uh, we're told in Acts 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the exclusive Savior of the world. There is no other Savior of the world. No other person that brings salvation for our souls. He's it. But the good news is, is that he is the Savior of the world. That as far as the gospel, nobody's excluded. Everyone is, is included. That there is salvation for you in Christ Jesus through faith in him. So put your trust in him. Uh, he, he loves you, and there is salvation in him. This is God's will. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So preachers like me, and I don't deserve this privilege, but we get to preach the gospel, preach God's word, and what's in God's word, the good news of the gospel, that even though we're lost, condemned sinners, that, that, that we're forgiven in Christ Jesus, that there is forgiveness of eternal life in him, trust him. Uh, there, you put your faith in him for everlasting life. You have salvation in Jesus. Last point as far as salvation is that 
the angels pondered it. Uh, Peter ends by saying, even angels long to look into these things. Uh, we sometimes forget about the angels. They're, they're, they're part of God's creation. We normally don't, don't see them the way God created them with all their wings and you know, flying around, things like that. One day, uh, one day we will. But the angels have life. They, they have not experienced death. Angels don't die. Um, and they've been alive since uh, creation. And there are good angels and, and, and there are bad angels. But angels don't know everything. They have a lot more accumulated knowledge than, than we do. Uh, but angels don't know, know everything, and they keep learning, and, and, and they, they keep pondering. And one of the things that, that the angels ponder and think about is the salvation that God gives to people who don't deserve it, human beings. And, and we're told again that even angels long to look into this. The word long is a passion. They're, they're passionate about the salvation that God gives to, to human beings, and they long to look into it. Um, the word look into, it means to study intently, that, that uh, to be fixated on it. It's the same word that was used when, when Peter and John, when they heard the, the news from the women that the tomb was empty, Peter and John left that room and they, they ran to the tomb and the, the stone was already rolled back and, and they went in and they saw and they looked at, they, they pondered the strips of linen lying there, collapsed in place, no body. Um, Peter scratched his head and said, hmm, I don't know about this. And But John saw the grave clothes. He believed. He knew by the grave clothes that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But they pondered it. They, they gave it a lot of thought. And, and likewise, the, the angels give a lot of thought to our salvation. Now, why? You know, why would they ponder it? And we're not given the, the answers. We're, we're speculating here. Um, but, it, but it could be because there is no salvation for fallen angels. The angels that sin are not given a second chance. Jesus did not come to die for demons, for, for fallen angels. Uh, but he did come to die for fallen human beings. And they wonder about it. It makes me wonder what, you know, what angels, the good angels, when they, they ponder me, um, were they saying, are you kidding me, God? Uh, why Scott Martz, uh, this, this pastor in Midlothian, Texas, um, why, why would you save him? Um, boy, you must be a loving God uh, to forgive a person like that. And we don't know exactly what, what they're pondering, what their questions are. Um, now, also, the angels ponder this. It all also might have something to do with what the Bible tells us through Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul tells us that, that we as Christians who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and even though still imperfect, won't be perfect till we're in heaven, that we are going to judge the angels. Now, what does that mean? Again, I don't, we don't know fully. Uh, God judges the evil angels and he sends them to hell permanently. But it sounds like we'll have a part of that. We'll, we'll be on, on, on God's team, if you will, his, his legal team as the angels are judged. It could also mean the good angels in this sense. The word judge means to exercise authority over. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God gave them authority over the rest of his creation. All things are created by God and for God, but he gave dominion. He, he delegated that to Adam and Eve before the fall. And, and could it be that, you know, when Christ returns and, and things are restored and uh, that these angels are wondering, okay, uh, will this person redeemed by the blood of Jesus be my boss one day? We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that the angels ponder they're curious, 
about our salvation. Now, in all my messages, I, I want to address a fault of ours, a specific sin. What's the specific sin in, in our text today? And, and it, what I think it is, is when we take for granted our salvation, when we just expect it and, and we're not thankful for it, and or when we, we downplay it, when we're apathetic, like, ho-hum, yeah, God saved us. My friends, that's wrong. Apathy is a, is a very dangerous thing. Apathy robs our, our faith. We have examples of congregations who became apathetic and, and Jesus said, repent, or this isn't going to last much longer. I'll, I'll move away from here. Uh, God hates apathy, lukewarmness. He does not like it. So if, if, uh, if, if our temptation is that we've grown apathetic towards the salvation we have, let's repent of that. Let's turn from that sin. And, and be excited like Peter. Contemplate the salvation you have, the gift of God, the grace that the, the prophets of old were told about it before it even happened. And, and know again for certain that, that you are saved eternally in Christ Jesus. And as Peter put it, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Live new in salvation. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message. Check us out online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, right off the Highway 287, across the street from the Courtyard Marriott. We worship upstairs in one of the conference rooms. Now we are convinced that Jesus died for all, that we might live forever. That's the gospel. The gospel has changed our lives. It can change your life as well. Have a great day.